So I, I want to start off just by introducing myself. If there's anyone that's new to Waters Church, welcome. Uh, my name is Joshua Vining. I am the uh, younger, better-looking version of the pet. No, I'm just joking. Uh, don't tell me I said that, okay? Uh, no, I, I'm the youth pastor, youth director, uh, whatever you want to call me. I, I, uh, I teach the, uh, the teenage, teenagers on Wednesday nights here at Waters Church. Um, so... I need, to, I need to preface this before we even get started here, okay? I ended up coming down with the flu or whatever you call it. I don't know how it happened, okay? I went to Christmas break at my family's place in Virginia, and I tried to do everything I could to make sure there was no way I could get sick because I knew I was speaking to you guys today. So, I mean, I was dodging. I was weaving. I, nope, no hug there. I'm just going to get around, you know, like everything. I get home, and I'm talking. I felt great. I was like, I came in here. I was like, yes, I made it through flu season. January 1st comes. I wake up that morning, and all of a sudden, my throat, and I can feel like, you know, the congestion. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. So I say that to say this. Have you ever seen a person up here preaching before blow their nose? No? Okay, good. We're going to try not to start that tradition today. But... I don't know what's going to happen, just so you know. Um, but no, I, I just want to, um, before I get started here, guys, I want to uh, take a moment and just thank Pastor Tim, our, our lead pastor here at Waters Church, just for this privilege to be able to talk to you guys today. Yeah. Um, to be able to, to speak to you guys on the first weekend of the new year of 2019, I mean, that's such an honor. Um, and I just appreciate him and appreciate uh, him allowing me this. And I, I believe God has got a fresh word for you guys today uh, and for myself as well. I, what I found is many times when I speak to people, God is also speaking to me at the same time. So we're in this together, just so you know. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see. But what I want to talk about today, what I believe that God has kind of put on my heart uh, actually throughout this year of 2018 and really to speak about today going into 2019 is the subject of being content. Being content. Being content in the life that God has given us. Being content in the family that he's blessed you with. Being content in the job, the career that you have, uh, the kids that you have, as much as they might act like devils, right? Being content. And, and when I say being content, the definition of being content uh, the definition of it is being fulfilled, being fully satisfied, being glad, being joyful. And I believe that God wants us to be content. He wants us to be free. This is what he, he made us for. But in, in society today, I think we can all agree with this. We don't really ever think about that word of being content, you know. I mean, especially in the United States, it's all about what is the one more thing I can get to satisfy me. Like, I just need the bigger house, and then I'll be okay, right? Or I, I, just need, I just need the promotion at my job, and then I'll be happy, but not until my bank account's too low. Or I, I, I just need, you know, single ladies, you probably hear this before, I just need a, you just need a man in your life, you just need to be married, then everything's going to be good. Right? This is what our society teaches us, though. The reason why you feel empty, the reason why you don't feel fulfilled right where you're at is because you just need that one more thing, the new iPhone, whatever it is. And this isn't anything new. It's not like this just started with this generation or the generation before. This is something that innately that we are born with as human beings. 
Like even when we come out of the, the womb, even when we're born, what's the first thing that we do as babies? We're grasping for things. Give me, give me, you know, need food, give me. And even if we look in the Bible, uh, all the way back into Genesis, into, the, into the Adam and Eve at the very beginning, we see this coming up. Like what did the serpent say to Eve? He said, he tried to tempt her and he said, he said, God just knows if you eat of this fruit, you'll be like him. Adam and Eve were already made in God's image. Wasn't that good enough? No. Content. God wants us to be content. Throughout this last year, like I said, in 2018, and God has been trying to, he's been teaching me this, because I, I believe contentment is not something we're just born with. We have to learn it. And he's been teaching this to me through 2018, and I think he's going to continue to teach me through 2019, and not just in life, but even in ministry, because uh, every week at Elevate now, we, we have, on average, about 60 to 65 teens on a Wednesday night that come in there into Elevate. It's amazing. It's amazing to see. Yeah, I get excited about it, just even talking about it, right? But then there's those weeks, you know, after a few weeks of, like, seeing, like, 60, 65 teens, 70 teens come in. Then there's those weeks where all of a sudden there's, like, 25 teens, 30. And I, I got to be up front with you guys. I take it to heart. I start to think to myself, Lord, did I do something wrong? Like, should I have not said what I said last week? Did I say something wrong? Like, what is going on here? And what God has had to do in me and to teach me is God has had to give me a revelation. He's had to show me that there's these things called school vacations. And sometimes the teens just have other things to do and they're not always going to be there. But what he's shown me through this is that I need to be content with who he brought in there. Because those 25 or whatever it is teens that are in there, they have a divine appointment with the Lord that day. God is going to do something in their hearts. He's going to transform their hearts and minds. And those are the people that he wanted in there that day. So he's taught me, stop worrying, Josh, about the others and worry about who I brought in here because this is who I want to speak to today. Be content. Now, now when I say this to you guys, I, I, I got to make sure I, I say, I, I want you guys to hear me out on this. Being content is not the same as being stagnant. It's not what I'm saying, okay? And I'm saying that because I didn't want you guys to think that I forgot what weekend it is. I know it's the first weekend of the year. I know that we all have uh, uh, New Year's resolutions and goals and things that we want to accomplish this year, and those are good. God wants to advance us. God, God didn't make us to just stay the same. Jesus didn't save you just to stay the same, right? Jesus saved you to bring you from glory to glory. He is constantly improving you so that you can look more like him. So New Year's resolutions are good. They're good. You know, all throughout the Bible, anytime I look in the Word of God, I've never seen anyone where God has called them to be stagnant, right? King David, David, when he slayed Goliath, he had to take a step in faith. If he was stagnant and just would have stayed with the other armies, who knows what would have happened? But he had to take a step out in faith. Joshua, Joshua that, went, that brought the Israelites into the promised land, what did God say to him? He said, everywhere you step your foot, I will give to you. But Joshua had to take the first step of faith in trusting in the Lord and step out. If he would have stayed stagnant, they might not have gone into the promised land. God has never called us to be stagnant. Stagnant is not the same as content. God wants us to be content 
He doesn't want us to be stagnant. So all these New Year's resolutions that you made, these are good things. God wants to improve you. He wants to mold you. He wants to teach you. He wants to shape you so that you resemble his son more and more each day. So if your New Year's resolution is to quit smoking, amen, God wants you to be healthier. If your New Year's resolution is to be a better husband or better wife, excellent, that's what God wants. If your New Year's resolution is to be a better son or daughter to your parents, and all the parents are saying amen, right? <laughs> that's a great New Year's resolution. If your New Year's resolution is like anything like mine, where every year I come up with a new hobby, that's good too. Yeah, I just figured out this year I'm going to get into downhill mountain biking. I don't know how this is going to go. I did it once two years ago, out west, almost died, but uh, this year's the year, I said. But I, I think it's good because I think God wants this temple of the Holy Spirit to be healthy. So that's a good thing. So I'm excited about it. But God never calls us to be stagnant, but he does want us to be content in him. And the reason why I say this to you guys, the reason why I believe it's so important that we learn how to be content, that we learn how to be fulfilled in him, is because there's a danger if we never learn this. See, the danger is if you never learn how to be content in your life, you will become a slave to chasing after this idea that I only need one more thing. It, becomes, it consumes your life. So you start to think to yourself, oh, all I need is a bigger house and then I'm going to be happy. Uh, you know, all I need is, a, all I need is a, a better marriage and then I'll be happy. Uh, all I need is more money, then I'll be happy. And what ends up happening is, is you, you strive your life to get these things and then you get them and then you're content for a short period of time and then you feel empty again and it's on to the next thing. And your entire life is chasing and chasing and chasing after the next thing that's going to try to satisfy you. And this ends up leading into feelings of comparison where you start to compare yourself with other people and what they have. And you start to say to yourself, man, if I, well, obviously that family's happy. Look at the house they live in. I have, a four, I have four kids and I live in a two-bedroom apartment. What the heck? And you start, to, you start to have jealousy and envy starts to come up in your life. And I don't know if you've ever seen anybody that struggled with jealousy before, but they're not happy people. It doesn't look good. I've looked in the mirror before it myself. I've struggled with it before. Let me tell you, it's not a good time when it happens. And this is what happens if we don't learn how to be content in who God made us to be. And contentment is not actually even the goal, okay? Contentment is not even the goal. Contentment is the tool that God uses to lead us to the goal, but the real goal is actually freedom. I mean, we can all agree on that. Like, we all in here want to be free. We want to be free from anxiety. We want to be free from stress. We want to be free from fear. We want to be free from having to get other people's acceptance of us. We want to be free from having to have all this stuff. We want to be free. God wants you to be free. He made us to be free. <clears throat> we, uh, in the book of Philippians, which is where we're going to stay today, Paul is writing this letter to the church. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing a letter to the church of, of Philippi, okay? Thus, it's called Philippians. Makes sense. Um, 
But it's, what's interesting about the book of Philippians is Paul's written many letters. He's written, I think, a third of the whole New Testament. But, but you see something in Paul's writings, especially in Philippians, because Philippians is one of his later letters in life that he, that he wrote, right? And you can see some type of, like, transformation in Paul's life. Like, you can sense just by reading Philippians that, that Paul seems to be free. Like, he doesn't seem to have any worry or stress. He doesn't seem to struggle with the same things he struggled with before. And, and he just seems, he seems content. And the part, and, and the passage we're going to read, the passage we're going to read today is in Philippians 4 verse 10. And this is near the end of Paul's letter to the church of Philippi. And in this part, this is kind of like the, the thank you part of the letter where Paul is writing to the church of Philippi and he's thanking them for all the support they've given them, you know, for the financial support and just them being there for him. And this is, but in, in true Paul fashion, he doesn't just thank them. He also wants to teach them something that he's, he's learned, something called contentment. He wants to teach them that. So I want to look at this today because I believe that, that God wants to speak to you guys today and he wants to teach us through Paul's writings of how we can be content in life. So if you have your Bibles on you, it's Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 10 and go through verse 17. Oh, also, we got these pamphlets in there. There's notes, okay, that follow along with the sermon. Um, it will help you get into heaven someday. No, I'm just joking. I was joking. I was going to say, if no one laughs at that joke, Jesus. All right. All right, Philippians 4, verse 10. So if anybody, everybody could, let's just stand up while we read God's word together. And just so you guys know, I... Uh, I read out of the New Living Translation. Uh, I just like the way that it says it, but if you read out of the ESV or whatever version you read out of, it's fine. I don't think any version is better than another. I, I always say, whatever version will get you to pick it up and read this word of God. That's good enough for me. So, Amen. Philippians 4, verse 10. All right. How I, and this is Paul talking to the church of Philippi. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content. Paul says, I wasn't born content. I didn't just surrender my life to Jesus and all of a sudden I was content. He said, I've had to learn how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. In some versions it says, I have learned the secret of living content. Whether it is with a full stomach from Chick-fil-A, I added that, or empty, with plenty or little. And then here comes the most popular verse. We've all heard this before. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other churches did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. Paul says, I don't need your gift. I'm content, but I'm happy you did it because I know that the Lord's gonna bless you for being giving. This is God's word, guys. Let's, guys, let's uh, bow our heads in prayer.
Father God, we just come before you this morning, Lord, with humble hearts, Lord. We, we worship you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. And we just ask that in this moment, Lord, that you speak to your, your children, your people, Lord. No one came here to hear from me or anyone else. They came to hear from you, Jesus. So, Lord, I just pray right now that every person in the room, that their hearts are open to receiving what you want to speak to them, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that, that your word, as we know, will not come back void, Lord. That it will pierce the heart. And that you will transform hearts and minds for your glory, Jesus. We give it all to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. And I'm going to take a drink of water while you're having a seat. <clears throat> all right. <clears throat> you know, context is so important when it comes to the Word of God. It really is. Like, context can make the Scripture really, once you understand who the Scripture was specifically written for, where it was written, what time it was written, and <clears throat> who wrote it, right, it can really make the Scripture really come alive. Like, <clears throat> it's important that we know the context. For instance, for example, the context of this passage that, that Paul is writing, okay, to the Church of Philippi is, Paul is writing this letter to the Church of Philippi while he is in prison, okay? I mean, I don't know about you, but that kind of changes everything, right? I mean, for anyone in the room here that was thinking to themselves, all right, well, that's nice that Paul says he can be content, but he doesn't know what I went through in life. Let me tell you something right now. I can guarantee you Paul has been through probably just as bad of, of a situation that you've gone through, if not worse, okay? And currently, while he's writing this passage, he was in prison, in chains, writing a letter to people that were physically free, trying to tell them how to be free and how to, have, and how to be content. I mean, that's just amazing. And, and what it shows me is this. What it shows me is this, that our situation doesn't have to determine our satisfaction. Well, I don't think anybody even caught up on that. I'm gonna... Our situation doesn't have to determine our satisfaction. You know, many times... In life, I think we believe that we have to have the right environment, the right circumstance going on in our life. We have to be in the right situation for us to be content and to be fulfilled and to feel good, right? And we have to have the right situation. And what Paul shows us here is, no, no, no. I can be in prison. I can be in the most unideal situation and still have joy and still be content no matter what. I'm free. Our situation doesn't have to determine our satisfaction. And what Paul does in this passage is he really lays out how to be content. He, he, he shows the church of Philippi why he is so content, why he is free. And, 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 he, and, he, and I, I say it to you because it says in here that he's learned the secret. So what I did was I wanted to write down for us four secrets that Paul lays out on how we can be content. Okay? So I'm going to start with secret number one that Paul shows us here in this passage. Secret number one is this. I will choose to praise the Lord forever. Paul says, how I praise the Lord that you're concerned for me. Paul's like, I may be in prison. I may just have a shirt on my back. I may have nothing to my name, but I'm going to praise the Lord anyway. I'm going to praise him for just having this shirt on me. 
See, many times in life, I believe that, that the first thing that we forget to do, depending on our situation, is praise God. Like, think about it. If you have a family member that gets sick or somebody comes down with cancer or you have a health issue, you don't forget to pray. Oh, no, you get right down and you pray because you want God to heal you. Or if you, have a, if you have an issue in your marriage or something, there's a struggle in your marriage, what ends up happening? You pray because you want God to fix it. But how often do we forget to just praise the Lord? Just praise him for just being who he is, for just praising him no matter what situation we're in. Because I'll, I'll be honest with you guys, God has already sent his son Jesus down to die for me. I'm already saved. I'm going to heaven for eternity. Everything else is a freebie. So he deserves my praise no matter what happens to me for the rest of my life. Amen. He deserves our praise. Matter of fact, uh, David, David says it like this, King David <clears throat> In Psalms 34, verse 1 and 2, he says, I'll praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. He says, I'll praise the Lord constantly. David is writing this while he's still on the run from Saul, okay? David's life is being threatened here. The king of Israel is trying to kill David. And the weird thing is David already knows that he's been anointed to be king, but he can't even step into that anointing because right now the king of Israel wants to kill him. And even in the most unideal of situations, even in the worst of circumstances, David says, I will still praise the Lord constantly. He's worthy of my praise. And this is what Paul shows us here. Paul does this again and again and again all throughout Philippians. Actually, a few verses before this passage that we read, Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And then at the beginning of the letter in Philippians, in the verse 3, he says, I thank God for you. I mean, Paul is praising God throughout the entire time of this letter. He has found something here. He has found that it doesn't matter what his circumstance is. It doesn't matter if he's in prison or not. I'm going to praise God because he's worthy of my praise, he says. And that's the first secret that he shows us. So I will choose to praise the Lord forever and always. But then in that same verse, there's, there's something else going on here that Paul is showing us. So in verse 10, we can throw it up here for you. <clears throat> it says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. Hmm. I know you've always been concerned for me but you didn't have the chance to help me. Okay, so Paul is saying, hey, I'm, I thank, I praise God that you're concerned about me again. Meaning at one point, the church of Philippi wasn't concerned with them. Or they at least didn't support him. And he's like, I'm just thankful that you are here now for me. Right? And, and I thought about that whole statement and I said to myself, well, how would Paul know if they just have never had the chance to be concerned with them, right? Because he says, he said, I'm just thankful that you're concerned with me again. I know you didn't have the chance, but I'm thankful you're here now, right? Paul wouldn't have known. He's in prison. But what Paul is doing here is something even deeper than that. Paul is choosing to think the best of them. Paul is choosing to, to, to believe the best in them. And if you want to know secret number two, it's this. This is what Paul's doing. It's, I will choose not to remain resentful. See, because I saw this and I was like, 
man, I'd be pretty upset if no one is supporting me. I mean, matter of fact, in verse 15, what it say in verse 15? It says, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help, you know, traveled on from Macedonia. No other churches did this. No other churches helped Paul out. Like Paul, the Apostle Paul. Like if I was Paul, I would have been angry. I would have been like, I've gotten beaten for you. I've gotten whipped for you. I've gotten stoned for you. I've gotten shipwrecked multiple times for you. And you're telling me that you just disown me like this? I mean, Paul could probably be saying to them, like, if it wasn't for my obedience to the Lord, the gospel wouldn't have even came to this area. Your church has started because, I, because of my obedience in following Christ and what he's called me to do. And I've been beaten for it, and now you guys just disown me. You don't even care about me. And Paul could easily live in that resentment and anger towards them. But we don't see that from Paul. We say, look, he says, you weren't there for me, but I'm just happy you're here now. I mean, thank the Lord you're here now. And I'm just happy for that. I, I, when I first read this, I was, it was funny because I, 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 the first picture that I kind of had in my mind was, it's happened to me in my life before where I've had a good friend before and, and I, I've had two good friends and we were all at an event together and I remember introducing both of them and they ended up hitting it off really well and they both became good friends. And next thing I know, they're out doing their thing and they've kind of both disowned me and ditched me. And I'm like... You know, and then there was times in my life where I could have used a good friend to talk to and they were nowhere to be found because they were hanging out. And that's what I kind of, I don't know, that's what I kind of pictured when I saw this with no of these churches will help Paul. Paul who's been bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. I mean, it would have been so easy to be resentful, but Paul just shows us that, no, I'm, I'm going to choose to think the best of you. I'm just happy you're here now. I praise the Lord for it. And I'm, I'm going to forgive. Second secret to contentment is choosing not to remain resentful against people, to forgive. And I shouldn't even just say people, okay? Because you can be resentful just about a situation. I mean, how many times have we done that? I don't know what you're going through right now, but how many times have we been in something that, and we just get angry and we're like, why do I have to go through this right now? Why am I sick? Why am I, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my marriage? How many times do we get resentful about our situation? And what Paul says, he says, I refuse to stay in that. I'm going to forgive, and I'm going to think the best, people. And then in verse 12, there's kind of a shift that starts happening here. See, because the first couple of verses, Paul is talking about them, right? He's talking about how, he thanks the Lord for them. He thanks the Lord that they're concerned for him again. But then in verse 12, <clears throat> there's a shift, and now Paul is talking about himself. And I want to read this to you guys again. It says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. So what Paul is doing here now is he's speaking out of experience. See, Paul's saying, I've lived a little in life. Like, I've been around the block. 
I've been through every season. I, see, I, I love talking to adults because you guys understand this, you know. Not saying teenagers don't, but let's be honest. Teenagers haven't gone through every season in life yet, right? We've gone through seasons. We know there's seasons in life. Not just winter, spring, summer, fall, you know. There's seasons in life, right? Like any married couples in the room, you guys probably know, there's seasons in marriage, right? There's seasons where your marriage is easy and smooth, and then there's seasons where it is tough, right? There's seasons with your job or with your career where maybe you can't even find a job, and then there's seasons where you have all the overtime at your disposal. There is seasons in life, and what Paul is saying here is, I've gone through them all. I've had times where my stomach was full, where I had everything I needed. Then I had times where I had nothing. I was bare bones. There was nobody around me. I was lonely, and I had nothing. I've been in every season, he says. But what he shows us about this is that there was something that remained through every season. And this is the third secret I want you guys to write down that he shows us. I will remember God's faithfulness in every season. I will remember God's faithfulness in every season. So what Paul shows us is, I've been through every season now. So I'm not going to get anxious. I'm not going to get stressed because, you know what? I've been there when there's been nothing. I've been there when there's been a lot. But I can tell you this, that God has been faithful through it all. That Jesus has got me through it all. I've, I've, I'm here today. I'm standing here today. So obviously he's been faithful. Waters Church, if you're sitting in this room right now, and I don't know what has gone on in your life up until this point, but I can tell you this, if you're sitting in this room right now, God was faithful in your life. He was faithful to get you here. You're in 2019. We have a faithful God. And, and what Paul is doing is he's, he's living out what Jesus spoke about, the freedom that Jesus spoke about in Matthew. In Matthew 6, 25 through 27, it says this, it says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Paul says, I'm not going to worry. I've been through the seasons. I've been through the hard times. I've been through the good times. And I'm here. I may be in prison, but God's faithful. And I'm not going to worry about if there's a trial coming up, if I'm going to another prison, or what's going to happen to me. I'm just going to remember his faithfulness. See, it's interesting. <clears throat> we get really, none of us want tough seasons to come in our life. None of us want, you know, uh, bad seasons, but I can tell you this, I, I really believe it's a blessing. Because I believe it's through those seasons that we get to truly see God's faithfulness in our life, that it ends up teaching us and we end up learning of, of how to stand firm and trust in him through it all. So that when down the road comes and, and, and another crisis comes into your life, you will be able to look back on how God was faithful yesterday, faithful today, and will be faithful tomorrow in your life. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. Paul says, I'll remember God's faithfulness through every season. <clears throat> That's how I'm content. 
And there's one more. There's one more secret. <clears throat> and it's in the, the most famous verse that we all know, right? Most famous verse. Philippians 4.13. One of the most famous verses. <clears throat> but I think now after seeing what Paul is talking about here, about how he's able to be content, how he's able to have freedom, right? I think I can understand this verse now. Okay, I'm gonna read to you again. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. See, for the longest time, Steph Curry had me believing that I could be an NBA basketball player because of that verse. I mean, I've just heard so many people use that verse before, like, I'm going in for a job interview, and I've heard people say, you can do everything through Christ who strengthens you. Like, you should get the job, right? And that's not really what it means at all. It doesn't mean we're going to get everything we want. And we've lived long enough to know this. It's not what Paul's talking about here. What this verse really means and what Paul is saying is I can go through anything in life. I can go through any situation and I'm going to tell you right now, Christ will give me the strength to get through it. Christ will give me the strength to be content no matter what happens in my life. No matter if I have a lot or a little. No matter if I have plenty or empty. Christ will give me the strength. See, what Paul is showing us here is the secret behind all secrets. Because without this, without Christ's strength, he could do none of these things and that's what he's showing us. It's all held together by this. He says, it's not me. It's him. It's Jesus. Paul says, with Christ, I can do everything. Without him, nothing. So what Paul is showing us here is he doesn't have the strength to praise God in every situation. He doesn't have the strength to forgive and not hold resentment against people that he brought the gospel to, that he helped build up their church and then they ditched him and left him. He didn't have the strength to get through every season and remember God's faithfulness without Christ. But with him, he's got the strength. And this is point four. I want you to put this down. It's Christ's strength that allows me to do everything. Paul says, it's not me. It's him. Jesus. And this is the awesome thing, too. Because <clears throat> once you experience Jesus' forgiveness in your life, how much easier is it to never resent anyone else? Because you're like, look at all the messed up stuff I've done to a perfect God, and he forgives me, and he shed his blood on the cross for me, then whatever you've done to me, I'm not going to hold resentment. I can be content in that area. And once you understand, once you understand who God is, that he's the creator of the universe, and the creator of everything that you see really loves me enough that he gave his son up for me, and loves me enough that he wants a relationship with me, and he wants to spend eternity with this minute person, me, in this whole world, once you understand that, how easy is it just to praise God all the time? And once you've gotten in your heart his promises and what he says about you, 
that God holds you in the palm of his hand, that he knew you for the foundations of the earth. Did you get that in your heart? How easy is it to know that he'll be faithful through every season? Paul says, I don't need to stress. Matter of fact, thanks for the gift. But he says, I don't need it anymore. I don't need it. I'm just thankful that you gave it because I know God's gonna bless you. Paul says, I'm content. Because of Christ, I can now live content. And this is the amazing thing. This is really cool. Because remember I told you contentment is not the goal. The goal is freedom. God wants us to be free. Contentment is the tool that God uses to bring us to freedom. So what Paul is saying here is because of Christ's strength in my life, I can now live content. And because of living content, now I can experience, look at this, forever remain resentful, every, every free. See it? F-R-E-E. Paul says, because of Christ, his strength, I can live content, and now I can experience freedom through him. I'm free, Paul says. If you guys are there for me, great. But if you're not, I'm content. I'm free now because of Jesus. I'm free.